You are listening to the regular version of Sexy Marriage Radio, smrnation.com. You've turned on Sexy Marriage Radio, where the best sex happens in the marriage bed. Here's your host, Dr. Corey Allen. Welcome back to another episode of Sexy Marriage Radio. And Pam, yes, we are nine years old. Happy birthday <laughs> to Sexy Marriage Radio. Absolutely. That's awesome. Job well done, Corey. So last Sunday, yep, October 11th, uh, 20... Columbus Day. Right, right. So, yep. I mean, it, it's it's so great that October 11, 2011 mm-hmm. is when we actually hit the airwaves. Right. And so celebrating nine years that when... I remember when I hit record the first time with Gina Paris, mm-hmm. all those many years ago... Having no idea the ride that was in store. And a heartfelt thank you to Gina Paris and to Shannon Etheridge mm-hmm. and to you, yep. my lovely bride, yep. for being with me along this ride all the way through. I think I can speak for those ladies that it's it's fun to sit here with you well, and, and uh, thank you. share the time together. Thank yep. you. And another huge heartfelt thank you to the SMR Nation Mm -hmm. who show up each and every week and just make this thing what it is because they listen, they email, they call, they join the academy, they support, they give comments, they give feedback, Mm -hmm. and we would not still be on the air without them. That's right. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. Here's to another nine years at least. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever's coming down the road because this is just too much fun. Yeah. To speak into what's going on in marriage and life and love and sex and helping couples just make the most out of it. As that's what you and I are exactly trying to do. Exactly. As well. Yeah. Well, there's also some interesting information going on on that's the kind of the antithesis of, of that kind of emotion. Yeah, totally. Of the celebration of nine years of this show. Um, but also this past week, I got a phone call from a colleague that's part of the little crew that I go to all the trainings with Dr. David Schnarch. Mm-hmm. And so one of the guys called me on Saturday to make sure I heard before an email went out that David Schnarch passed away on Thursday of last week from a, a sudden heart attack. Mm-hmm. He was far too young. He had far too much work that was not quite complete. Mm, but he's affected so many lives. Absolutely. And I think it's important to let the SMR nation know about his passing because whether you knew him or not, he impacted your life if you listen to this show. That's right. Because he has been a profound impact on my life and and our marriage and on my work. Specifically on your work and how and and how you counsel people. Mm-hmm. Um, just their relationship dynamic. It's, it's incredible work. Yeah. And it's, so that's, it's a sudden shocking news uh, that he will be missed, but his, his work and his message and his compassion for people, his legacy, uh, will live on. Yeah. Um, and that's what we hope to continue to carry that forward, uh, in everything that we do here. So coming up on today's regular free version of Sexy Marriage Radio, um, we got a couple of questions that we're going to answer, but it's actually not you that's going to help me answer these, Pam. That's right. Uh, a, a fellow colleague that's also a Schnarch disciple, mm-hmm. Jessa Zimmerman, is joining me again on the show, and she's got a couple of uh, we we got a couple of different things that came through. It's like I want to get her take. Perfect. I love her insight. But it's also collaboration with her because she and I next week on. October 20th, mm-hmm. are hosting a webinar. Okay, and it's called, how find out about it? Well, so you want to go to the show notes of today's show, okay. and there'll be a link to register. It's a free webinar. She's got some great information that's coming up um, with this Intimacy with Ease course that she's got available mm-hmm. uh, that's based off of her book, Stress-Free Sex. Mm-hmm. And it's a, I, I cannot recommend it enough. And so the webinar is going to be great information that helps the high desire. Uh, what are they, how are they getting in their own way? Oh, that's excellent. <laughs> it's it's kind excellent. of, the, it's probably the easiest way to think of it, but we'll talk some about it with her and there'll be more details uh, with her. And so head back to the show notes and register. 
Okay, perfect. Uh, that way you can join us. It's on, on October 20th in the evening, 7 p.m. Central Time. Mm-hmm. Um, but we really do hope you join us. And then coming up on the extended version of Sexy Marriage Radio, which is deeper, longer, and there's no ads. And although today, um, we do ask you for, you got to be a member to be able to hear the extended content. Mm-hmm. And you would go to smrnation.com forward slash SMR Academy. But since uh, Dr. Schnarch has been such an impact on this, on this show mm-hmm. and on my work and the way I view and, and work with people, um, we're giving it for free today. This 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 con this show the whole thing is to everybody today. Yeah. So we're gonna spend some time doing the extended content, just talking about the introduction to his work that you and I had, mm-hmm. and then I've got I've I spent the last several days just kind of going through all the different notes mm-hmm. that I took at the conferences and all the different statements and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I'm gonna share some of the biggest ones that still kind of resonate with me. Perfect. And I think that that's what helps impact and touch people further. Mm-hmm. So all that's coming up on today's show. Well, it is always a pleasure to welcome Jessa Zimmerman back to the show in Sexy Marriage Radio Nation world, uh, because Jessa, you and I, uh, we have so much overlap, it seems like. I know, we do. <laughs> on, on, on just the, the framework, the perspective, uh, the approach. I mean, largely because we go to a lot of the same trainings and, right. and right. you know we've done a lot of the same kind of schooling and, and prep, and then our clientele has got a huge overlap, too. But uh, I've got you on specifically today for this episode. Uh, there's two things I'm using you for this time, Jessa, and I'll just be upfront about it. One is <laughs> okay. <go> um, <laughs> October 20th, you and I are going to be doing a, a webinar that uh, mm-hmm. is targeting um, the rework you've got of the program that you've put together. Right? I mean, is that kind of the easiest way to to describe it, or? say it's sort of an intro so so the webinar is called how to help your partner want more sex without just adding more pressure love it and so what i'm going to talk about are the three most common mistakes that higher desire partners make that make it virtually impossible for their partner to like tackle this with them and be able to want sex right and it's really really crucial so uh, when I think about why, why have I called it this or why am I talking to the higher desire partner is because that person needs to change some things first. Okay. So that's what we're going to talk about. And I am going to sort of talk about overall the program and what, what it really takes to create easy intimacy. Right. But that's more than a 45 minute. 45 Absolutely. Minute so, yeah. So that's coming up yeah. on October 20th. The information of how to join will be in the show notes uh, for this episode. Plus we'll be hitting the email lists and, and spreading the word. So if you're a member of the SMR nation, uh, it'll be pretty easy to find once you get to a website um, yes. at smrnation.com or, or you check your inbox because I'll, I'll send all kinds of info on how to find it. And I'll be showing up to that for sure. Cause I'm going to take notes. Yeah. I'm going to make sure uh, <laughs> exactly. I'm not doing those three things. Uh, but while I also have you here, Jess, uh, let's, let's get some work done. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I, I would love, uh, anytime I can get you on the air with me, um, I love jumping into the inbox that that we have yeah. uh, for the show and just answering some questions that we get from some of the members of the SMR Nation. And so let me give you, a, this is an email from a wife, okay, Jessa? So let me work, work through this and then we'll, we'll dive right in. So hello, okay. I'm new to the Sexy Marriage Radio Nation and I love the content. Thank you for all you do. My husband and I are newlyweds, as in we're still inexperienced with sex, but we both have a little history of low count sexual partners and experience. So background, I, as the wife, am the lower desire partner, but we still have sex at least four to seven days a week uh, when we're together, and I initiate probably a quarter of the time. I have a history of strong pornography in my childhood, and he has a moderate pornography in our marriage, but that hasn't bothered me yet. We've been married for two and a half years, together for eight, with no children. We live in different states, as he's in school now and has one year remaining. We've been in school the entirety of our marriage, but we make time at least once a month to get together and have extended time. My husband cares and invests in my experience and pleasure in sex, and he does a wonderful job. So well done, dude. Um, (laughs) My problem is that I do not and cannot orgasm all the time. 
And I feel, and I'm assuming other women can relate, that it has to do with how I feel about myself. If the room is cold, if my feet are poking out of the sheets, if I feel too fat, if my hair looks messy or not sexy, if I don't have sex at the exact same time I was feeling most horny, if I've lost interest, it's, I mean, oh, man, she's got a whole lot that could just right, be right. creeping she's, in, right? What I'd say is she has a lot of self-awareness, right? Like it's not a, not a mystery. What's there you way. go. She is, she is attuned. That is true. So also yeah. the only way I can orgasm by penetrative or oral intercourse is by thinking about lesbian or abusive fantasies. All these factors play too much into my pleasure and experience. So my question is, is this bad? And do you have any advice or guidance for women or men who are just so affected by their thoughts or their environmental too much? I just wish it was easier to orgasm like my husband and I didn't have to feel guilty about after a good orgasm. Wow. Okay. Yes. <laughs> there, is a, there is so much in that question. Right. I, I kind of um, hear the two different parts of this thing, right? That one, we can kind of do it environmentally. Uh, right. Because I think that's a component because she's listing out, you know, a, a whole slew right. of what's going on around you every time you have sex with everybody. Right. This is their experience. Yes. Uh, but then she's also got this other component of to actually achieve orgasms in the, some of the more taboo fantasies, I guess is probably the easiest way to label it. So we got we got the two different yeah. sides to yeah. this question. So let's go environmental first. Right. What do you think? So, OK, so. Super common. I mean, Emily Nagoski writes about how people have brakes and accelerators, and it's actually the way our brains are wired. Correct. Right? We Some of us are interrupted by things very easily and at very sensitive brakes. Uh, some people have like go, 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 huge foot on the accelerator, and it's built into the way our brains work. Right. So it sounds to me like she's got some brakes, right? She's easily distracted or disturbed or the environment makes a big difference. So First of all, control what parts of that you can. Right, control like the with preemptive. The or, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do what you can about those things. Give yourself some grace. If you kind of fall off track, can you practice getting back on track? Like that's part of the recovery, I think, mm -hmm. of it. And, that, and then she it, mentioned that you think, you think that's <laughs> yeah. Let me let me jump in just real quick. Do you think yeah. by the the idea of when you do uh, experience one of these breaks, and so trying to get back on track. Um, are you in the same kind of thought press I would have of, uh, it's largely just saying, Hey, you know, just, just acknowledging that just say, Hey, I just, I just disconnected for a little bit. Let's, yeah, I, yeah. I, I want to reestablish with you again. Well, you might say it out loud to your partner, but it also might just be something you do in your own head. Like okay. it's almost like meditation, you know, it's some thought you end up following it off. Oh, can I bring myself back to the moment? Okay. So you might even just do it in your own mind. Give yourself permission. Perfect. Oh, I got distracted. I felt cold. Let me see if I can bring myself back. Perfect. Do I need to speak up about, wait, we need to slow down a little bit because I kind of lost my groove. Can we, can we go back? You know, that's something you might say to your partner. Okay. Um, and it is. So I guess it depends on the situation that you say something. Absolutely. Cause you, you made a comment about do some of the preventative things on the environment that you can control. And what just popped into mm -hmm. my head is I was, I was speaking at a, a, one of the local moms groups here um, last year and we got to talking about some of the different aspects because it was just a Q and a time. Right. And so one of the questions came into some of this environmental components and one of the women, I love it. She's like, Oh yeah, I, my, I, there are two things that matter when it comes to sex for me and, and it's how, how comfortable are my feet because if they're cold, it, she loses it. You yeah. know, it's, it's too much of a distraction. And right. also the room, right? That yeah. there's a component of that, that there's, she's got like a one degree variance, which I think is a lot of women. I can throw my wife into that category to a degree. And yeah. so actually what she has is she wears socks anytime they have sex. He, he, yes. he gets it. But she also has what she refers to as the sex cardigan. That there's a sweater cardigan that she puts on, it. and that's that's signal to him. Hey, I'm interested. Right, right, right. exactly. I'm initiated. But that's but that's keeping part of her covered up well. Yes. But also exposing the other parts that he's going to be interested in, and yeah. And so it's like it works. And every there was like half the room was like. That is a great idea. <laughs> we're, getting on, we're getting on Amazon right now and buying totally. a cardigan sweater. You know? Totally, because that's just one of those environmental things that you could just well, take here, care of ahead of time. One. Here's another one, Corey. A lock on your bedroom door. Yep. I can't even tell you how many clients I have to say, put a lock on your bedroom door. Yeah. Because just the fear that the kids could burst yep. in at any moment, it's like that, that's enough to keep somebody's brakes on. Oh, absolutely. So it's just, yeah. that, those, okay, so that's good. And then the idea of whenever you do have a break, uh, how do you 
soothe yourself, get back into connection, either in your own head first and then bring your partner on board or yeah, reverse yeah, that. Yeah. Or- and, right. Instead of thinking, oh, horrible, this I lost it, it's done, the door's slamming shut. It's more like, wait, there can be a little bit of, oh, right, I fell off, let me climb back on and okay. let's see if we can keep going. And, yeah. and that might take a little practice. Okay. And then all the other stuff, because we, we kind of, I kind of cut you off when you were talking about uh, the other thing that fits into this is self-image, right? On just... How, how am I carrying myself and feeling about myself? Because that ebbs and flows as a normal right. human process. Right, right, right. And there are, I mean, I'm always looking for the experts to share about overcoming body image issues, you know, because I think it was Lori Mintz I interviewed on my podcast and she said something about, you know, you can't have an orgasm if you're holding your stomach in. Right. Right. Like you yeah. just can't, you know, and that self-consciousness can be so um, draining, right. such a burden. So trying to, relax and be comfortable in your skin, I think is really valuable work, but that's not snap your fingers and you're done. So again, the idea of maybe being somewhat dressed, wearing lingerie that covers things you want cover, covers on or having candlelight instead of full light, or, you know, you you can also control that environment a little bit to make yourself more comfortable. And it almost sounds to me like uh, some of that self image, self-consciousness, uh, the, a lot of that kind of work is done outside the bedroom too, on just how are you carrying yourself, oh, absolutely. Oh, right? And in, in all absolutely. aspects of your life, because it's not like those suckers yes. just show up in the bedroom. You know, they, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> they're, <laughs> no. they're across they the board, <laughs> right? Yeah, and, they are. And, they I'll, are. and I'll own it uh, as far as the male side of it. This is a male component too of there's there is some self-confidence and self-image that men can fight we're not always just that whole oh look at us who you know the macho bravado that there's underneath it it's very similar experience absolutely and And, you know one of the things i say to people is you're having sex with the person in the body not the body right so to try to give ourselves that grace about someday hopefully we're going to be 85 and having sex you know right. we're not going to look like our slim 25 year old selves it's like it doesn't right. the appearance doesn't matter like we think it does and so trying to constantly reinforce that message is valuable absolutely and I, and i love that in the, in the thought process of just how am i doing the rest of my life because i think that's the easier mountain to start to climb in some right. regards of like okay so if i know i have a particular bad day where you just wake up and you're not how do you pull yourself out of that? Because that same yeah. kind of concept and technique can be applied in the bedroom. Absolutely. Because you've already yeah. proven it works and it helps, especially if, you know, maybe it only gets you from a one to a two, but well done. That's that's right. a big shift. Right. right. Okay. So then let's pivot to the other side of this, this coin then. Yeah. So first of all, let me just say she's not bad. Right. <laughs> okay. Nobody's wrong. Nobody's broken here. Right. Um, fantasies, I mean, this taps into what I call our, well, I don't just call it, people call our eroticism. Yep. There are things that really turn us on yep. um, for reasons that make sense, I think. I mean, there's, you know, if anybody's curious, Bader's book, Arousal, The Secret Logic of Sexual Fantasies, I love. But it's very common to fantasize about ta- taboo topics. Yep. So nothing is off limits in your brain. Things, there are certainly things you can't do in real life, you know, right. like some abusive stuff or illegal right. stuff, right? But it's erotic for a reason. And our brain, you know, you've probably heard our brain is our biggest sex organ. Yes, it is. The things we think about, that's a lot of stimulation. It adds a lot of, sti- you know, the, the stimulation we need to be aroused and then to hit an orgasm is physical, but it's also mental. Totally. So she is talking about adding a lot of mental stimulation, which is totally normal. Okay. And totally fine. So I, I definitely talk to some people that, that don't, well, they might be concerned, but they also don't like that they're often fantasy away from their partner. Right. So maybe there's a way to bring her partner into that. Maybe there's a way to even share it with her partner and, and be in that fantasy together. Um, or even if she just continues to fantasize, that's perfectly normal. People, right. A lot of people, and especially maybe a lot of women, need extra stimulation to get to an orgasm. Okay. And so that's one way to do it. And so I got I got two thoughts. One is a question. One is just a thought. Because as you're talking through this whole thing of just um, I, the, the comment from Esther Perel came to mind of fantasies are politically incorrect. Right. That, that's, <laughs> generally. <laughs> that's just generally well, where I, they go. Right. Yeah, I mean, some people fantasize about romantic dinners or some, you know, uh, I don't know. Right. 
well, I, no, on horseback or something, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can, well, you can have a much more vanilla in the sense of that. But there's still this element of whenever I apply judgment to a fantasy, I'm yeah. immediately kind of hurting what, what can be and the, the exploration of what I can learn, right? Because I think there's element you've yeah, kind of touched yeah. on is they're born out of something a lot of times. It's like, hey, maybe, maybe yes. exploring that can be beneficial. And also maybe bringing a partner into it could take us to a whole other level of experience our, ourselves. But my question for you is, do you think there's a correlation between if I get easily distracted and the, the environmental means the fantasy has to help override some, I don't know. I, I, it, I mean, I don't know if they're, I wouldn't yeah, put causation. Yeah, I, I think I know where. Yeah. I wouldn't put <laughs> causation in this at all, but I'm wondering what kind of correlation there might be. Yeah. That's an interesting idea that one way, if we, if we get our brain busy in a fantasy, maybe we're keeping it at least engaged right here. Absolutely. <laughs> sexual stuff instead of thinking about the dishes or right. the cold feet. So I think that's possible, but so many people fantasize that, um, yeah, maybe that's one of the purposes that that serves. And I do want to say that just because we fantasize about something does not mean we want to do it. Correct. That's just so important <laughs> to point out. So the fact that she gets turned on by lesbian fantasies does not mean that she's a lesbian or that she wants to have sexual experiences with women. Right. The fact that abusive scenes kind of turn her on does not mean that that's what she would enjoy in right. real life. So it's so important to understand that there can be things that are super hot to think about that that we don't want to do right. You know? right. And that's yeah. where they're better served on just leave it where it is in the sense yeah. of, Hey, that's, that's what it is. If you want to investigate and try to under uncover more, I mean, I guess you can, but there's still that element of how do you replace and move into, you know, cause fantasy, you invite your partner into it or you try to be more engaged with your partner in the moments. And right. that's what gets right. you over the hurdle that, that right. you're looking to, to overcome. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I love it when people are willing to be real, uh, yeah. with, with emails <laughs> and, and also speak to, uh, here's a bigger issue, <laughs> right. That, that a lot of people yeah. face because she's, she kind of captured two different things that I think are right. pretty common, uh, yeah, absolutely. across the board. So if I was to characterize one of the issues that wreaks the most havoc in our marriage, it would be mealtime. Would you agree with that, Pam? I would totally agree with that. <laughs> it's because I'm married to a woman that enjoys much more variety, much more healthy options, mm -hmm. and much more adventure when it comes to meals. Yeah. Whereas I am a get the job done and move along kind of a guy. Mm-hmm. Well, we want to tell you about our sponsor today, HelloFresh, which I think you made the comment at one point. It didn't save our marriage because we weren't necessarily precarious, but it has definitely... It's taken away a sore spot in our marriage, right? You're the one at home. I want you to have a meal ready when I come home in tax season. And holy cow, when we started HelloFresh, boom, I come home and he's chopping up onions and he's chopping up shallots. So what is HelloFresh? It's fresh pre-measured ingredients with mouthwatering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and makes cooking fun, easy, and affordable. Here's a couple of points that are worth noting. HelloFresh's recipes are delicious. They are definitely delicious. They offer so many different recipes that you get to choose from each week to help you break out of your recipe rut. HelloFresh also helps you save time and stress effortlessly. And it's largely because what's delivered to your house is exactly what you need. It's the perfect portions and cute little bottles that everything's in. <laughs> it really, it our, really our kids is. jump in and help Our cook. kids love it. We've loved it. There's even leftovers some of the times. Mm -hmm. Because we get the family pack mm -hmm. uh, each and every week. And then the last thing is flexible and it fits your lifestyle because it keeps your fridge stocked and you can add extra proteins or sides like garlic bread to your weekly order. It's so easy to do. And I'm getting this look from my wife like I she didn't, didn't even know, know we could add I extras. didn't know we could add garlic bread. Well, actually, Pam, then you should take advantage of this special offer. Okay. Because if you go to HelloFresh.com forward slash SMR80, the number 80, and you use the code SMR80, the number 80, you get a total of $80 off, including free shipping on your first box. Additional restrictions apply, but please visit HelloFresh for more details. Again, 
Go to HelloFresh.com forward slash SMR80 and use the code SMR80, the number 80, to get a total of $80 off across five boxes, including free shipping on your first box. Maybe HelloFresh can take the stress out of your relationship when it comes to mealtime too. Okay, so let's let's pivot to one more email if you're cool with that, Jessa. Absolutely. All right, so this is from another wife. That's, uh, her, her and her husband are faithful SMR listeners, so thank you very much. Listen to every single episode and are grateful. It's helps helped them grow so immensely. So they have a question. Even before I was married, I knew that something was off due to the pain that I would experience. Once we were married, actually trying to have vaginal sex, the pain was excruciating. I saw several doctors, many of whom who blew us off, and said, I just needed to relax, which that drives me so crazy. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean that, that is a yeah. common story. <laughs> so about nine months ago, I finally connected with a specialist in pain, and she immediately could see the problem. I had an extremely highly enervated tissue in the area which was sensitive to even the slightest touch with a Q-tip. From the beginning, she said I would probably need surgery, but gave us several other things to try first, like medications, pelvic floor, uh, physical therapy, etc. I saw her again a few weeks ago, and since we had seen almost no improvement, she went ahead and scheduled me for a vaginal vestibulectomy, which I'm having in a few weeks. The doctor says I'm a perfect candidate, and she thinks it'll be life-changing, but she also has experienced or express that it will be very painful recovery after that, and that once we are cleared to have sex, we'll likely still experience a lot of the same anxiety we had before. She'll be able to prescribe me anxiety medication to help, but it will continue to work with the pelvic floor physical therapist as well to help with that. So learning to have real penetrative sex for the first time after a lot of failed and very painful experience, as well as a major surgery, and the fear of tearing that comes with that is daunting to me, even though I'm so eager for the chance to experience sex this way. On the other side, my husband is so excited to finally to have penetrative sex as soon as possible, and who could blame him? He's supportive of me and willing to go at whatever pace we need, as he graciously has been this whole time, but he's understandably eager to get the ball rolling quickly. So we would love any feedback you have on managing and communicating around expectations, expectations easing into sex after either neither having, after, sorry, after either never having been able to or for others, perhaps after a major surgery or injury, and then managing the anxiety that comes with that, because she's touching on. Oh boy! The, I mean, the, again, this you, is, you got some complicated emails. Well, this time. again, and I think we can put this into two categories, right? That, that you got the physical side of it, but then you've also got this anxiety, this emotional right. side of it, and, right? And this is one of those things that I love the fact that just hearing the way she's wording this, uh, and the, and the way she. Uh, talks about her husband. Um, this is not one trying to pull one on over the other or right, right. get their way too soon, too fast. It truly is a collaborative process, is what it's being described right. as. And so, um, yeah. What come? Where? I mean, I, I love having you on this because I've not come across this procedure before. I had to go search, yeah, do some searching on it to to learn about it more. But um, that's why I was like, I got to talk to Jessa about this one. This could be good. Well, the first thing I want to say, I mean, she covered a lot of bases, but to anybody out there who's got sexual pain, I just want to say, um, you got to be persistent trying to get an accurate diagnosis. Yes. Most people, women, are going to need to see six or seven doctors okay. before they really figure out what's going on. Okay. And they will often be dismissed. You just need to relax. Have a glass of wine. Right. It's not, it looks fine to me. Right. And that's all you're going to get because most doctors are not actually trained in this. Correct. Which is even gynecologists, right? Yep. It's really kind of frightening. So you got to be persistent. You got to advocate for yourself with that. Um, I love that she's already seen a, a pelvic floor physical therapist. That's such an integral part of working with um, sexual pain. Yes. All right. So as for the surgery, the recovery, how do they start to approach sex again? Um, very slowly, yes. very gently. And what I, what I would say, I mean, this comes up no matter how people are struggling with sex. I usually give people the recommendation to, to work on touching where the receiver is totally in charge. Okay. So she would be guiding her. Well, first of all, she would probably do some self-exploration. How does this all feel when she's recovered and everything's healed? Right. Because that's a whole, yeah, that's a whole new journey there too. 
Yeah. Right. Your body is different than when you went in. Right. So what's, what's there? How does this tissue feel? What's tight? What's sensitive? What's painful? What's not? What's pleasurable now? Like, what is that even? You right. Know, Cause you're also, know that you're kind of describing terror. a brain rewiring as necessary at times too. Right. That's, that's whole, this whole process is going to entail that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you got to get to know what's my body now mm-hmm. and what is it like now? And that, you know, that changes for all of us anyway, but yep. certainly kind of dramatically after surgery. And then can she guide him to just touch gently, softly different parts, you know, sort of like body map yep. those, this whole area and figure out what's possible. Yep. Um, the physical therapist is likely going to have her work on penetration very gradually with something called dilators, where you start right. with something very skinny, the right. size of, you know, a finger or less and gradually work up, relaxing those tissues and seeing what's comfortable. Right. Ideally they come out of this. Like I have had clients with this procedure and are able to have enjoyable vaginal penetration mm-hmm. down the road. Um, but I've only had two, so it's not enough to say, oh, it always happens. I'm not sure. <laughs> right. It's possible. Right. Um, ideally, that's where they end up. But ultimately, they're going to have to figure out what pieces do they have <laughs> that they can put together this puzzle. Right. And, you know, if it includes vaginal intercourse, great. If it doesn't, there are just so many ways to s- still share p- pleasure and connection. Totally. Well, and that's what they're describing too. And I almost hear, uh, this is also calling on whatever the capacity they learned about themselves and each other yeah. to navigate this thus far is, is what you're going to also be relying on is right. It's the ability to communicate clearly of no, 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 not yet. No, that no, yes, no, yeah. you know, and just sometimes it's that simple, but sometimes it's also, um, the conversations even beforehand and after that are setting it up, you know, because if you're, right. I, I, I'm trying to put myself in this husband's shoes for a second to think, okay, I've experienced a lot with this woman. I've been very gracious and, and caring and supportive. And now I'm really rare, raring to go, right? Because, Hey, we're going to get the green light. <laughs> and so it, it, yeah. it truly is like gloves are off. Let's go. And, and so it's still this element of, I still have to honor her and let her guide and lead this and, and recognize she's trying to get where we both want to go. And so don't, don't rush it. Don't overpower. Right. It's not a green light until it doesn't hurt. It doesn't matter what the doctor says. Don't do things that hurt. Don't push through that pain or that's just going to aggravate things. Right. So even when the doctor says you've healed from the surgery, green light, you're ready to go. It's like, whoa, 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 slow way down. you got to investigate. I, I really think they're going to have to approach these encounters. This is not sex. We're experimenting. We're right. discovering what hurts, what doesn't. Let's really round out this territory, like fill out the menu here about yeah. what's possible um, before she's going to be able to relax enough to just sort of be penetrated and enjoy that. Yeah, because I, I, I mean... <laughs> I don't know why this just popped into my head because it's not at all apples to apples, but I just think of any time you're recovering from a surgery, like I, I tore an ACL playing basketball, okay. you know, it's, it's been over, uh, over a decade now, but you know, medically speaking, you're cleared after about eight months, but mentally speaking to be playing ball, it's a year to a year and a half. Before yeah. your brain is connected to, you can trust that procedure and the healing and it works. And so right. I, I almost hear a similar component, yes. but it's, it's compounded because you've got two people and two brains yes. <laughs> trying, trying <laughs> right. to, because there's that element of think of how sophisticated the communication takes place during sex that you can misread your partner. Right. And it's and so then it's important that they bring their map forward of, whoa, no, hold on. I saw you just pull back and get tentative. That's not I'm in this. Let's go. Or, yeah, you read that right. Let's slow down. You know, and so it's it's yeah. such it's such almost a laboratory. Yeah. Use your words. That's, of, that's... of just of, <laughs> of retraining yourself and each other. Okay. Right. And it, and it also brings up, you know, when when her experience of sex has always been painful. But even if it was just sometimes painful, right. the body's response to that is to clench, yep. right? I'm anticipating it might hurt. Like, it's you know, preparatory, gosh, I touched right? the stove. Yep. Right, right. I touched the stove one out of 10 times. It's hot. I'm going to be tentative, right? right. Like it's, it, so the body's response is to clench. And that, well, ultimately that can create vaginismus where somebody clenches so much they can't have penetration, right? right? The vaginal muscles are so closed, right? but it's also painful. Yep. So 
this learning to relax and totally relax the pelvic floor, relax your mind, totally be present and receptive means nobody can be pushing or chomping at the bit. Right. So he's really, there's just gotta be such a tender approach to this over whatever amount of time it takes. Right. They figure out what's possible. Yeah. This is truly to me where this fits into married sex is a long game, right? That this is, you're, you're working towards something that it's, it it can take a while. Yes for something to really yes. come to fruition of what you've had all along in your mind. It might be something that's down the road, but don't discount the power of if we're heading towards it, there's so much that is still beneficial and learning yeah. and exploring and experiencing. And then lo and behold, most of the time, I think you probably have the same similar experience with, with clients and people on your shows that, we have this thought of what we think is the coup de gras, the, the ultimate. And then when I start heading towards it, lo and behold, there's something that's even better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? Well, and hopefully this couple has along the way found real ways to share pleasure with each other that has not involved pain. Right. right? So hopefully they've got this whole playground of things that they've enjoyed and they're still going to have that. So, you know, I, I would hope it's not been all or nothing. That's certainly something I do in sex therapy with people. We're trying to deal with the medical issues here, right. but we're also trying to maximize the pleasure and connection you can have. Right. And there's so much value in that. So that almost answers the second question they've got of how do you manage the anxiety? You kind of call upon the, the resources you've already had and, and right. the ability to recover and, and connect to, to connect in, in ways that you didn't think you were going to be able to, because it, whatever you thought, was taken off the table. So now you come up with a different way to experience connection yeah. with each other and joy or bonding yeah. or intimacy or whatever it was you're looking for. Right. And have experiences where she knows nothing is going to be done to her without her explicitly inviting it or okay. consent. Like she can't be on guard, like at any moment and he might try to stick it in or, or right. something's going to happen. She will not be able to relax like that. So it's got to be her in charge. Okay. That's, that's good. It's just an empowering thing, but I love it because it sounds like she's already well down this road because (laughs) she's done this, right. The, the proactive, I will manage and advocate for myself (laughs) to find the answers. Yes. Yes. That's good. So I love that that, again, um, Jessa, thank you so much for, for jumping on with me just just to cover these two. And then October 20th, I can't wait. Um, again, I'm showing, I'm showing up with a notepad. I'm going to take notes. (laughs) I'll be curious to hear what Pam says too. (laughs) We'll see. We'll we'll run it. I'll run it all by her. We'll see what she, we'll see what happens. Well, cause you know, the, the webinars aim for these higher desire partners, but the lower desire ones are going to be thrilled with this. I promise you. (laughs) That's a perfect tease. Well, thank you very much, Jessa. And, um, look forward to seeing you again. Perfect. So as we segue into the extended content today, um, it's it's not a lot of fun to talk about loss. Right. Right. Um, right. To talk about just how life just has these things that happen. Mm-hmm. And I guess the easiest way to do this um, is just to, you know, if, if you've listened to Sexy Marriage Radio on any length of time, you've heard uh, Schnarchian phrases. Oh. or concepts or statements right throughout the, all nine years right that are that are directly attributed to him and i try to always carry the the mantle of if it's something that is definitely his i'm gonna i'm gonna acknowledge that right right and i'm gonna say it's his uh one of the things that i've tried to do is adapt it to the circumstance and the lens through which we view life, through I, through which I view life. Mm-hmm. But some of the fundamental concept of his are are just too good, mm-hmm. um, and because so you know I started grad school thirties, late twenties, thirties. Yes, 30s, yes. Um, was introduced to Schnarch in the PhD program, one of the very first classes I took. Mm-hmm. Uh, passionate marriages was one of the textbooks. Mm-hmm. And so here I am diving into this work, having been exposed to all of the different theories already at this point in the field of marriage and family therapy and just psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. And typically the way that whole thing goes is you, you figure out which one do you resonate with most and then deep dive into that theory that l- matches with the way you view life and the human Within life. I'm kind of curious of 
you know, however many people were in the master's and doctoral program with you, how many of them said, yeah, Schnarch is the one that really captivates and sums up where the epitome of where I think this should go? Right. Well, that's a great question because uh, in the PhD program, um, there were a couple others that really loved some of the concepts of him, mm-hmm. but I think it was just me. Interesting. That that, okay. that really was like, uh, aside from one professor, mm-hmm. that she was she was heavy into his work as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of people that love some of the the ideas and the philosophy because it was based a lot off of Murray Bowen's work, which is the founder of family systems theory. Mm-hmm. And he took it and then just adapted it to marriage specifically. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of overlap that if you're a systems theorist, you're already going to be in line mm-hmm. with his work. But I think what rubbed a lot of people wrong uh, when, when you first kind of come across his work two decades ago or so, um, it was pretty gruff in the way he would come about confronting people and it was really straightforward and it you know it's just yeah he doesn't tiptoe around that was and so that would rub a lot of people the wrong way in the field because there's a lot of people that head into the mental health field and they are compassion souls you know they are tender and softer and you know that they're they're really really caring Mm -hmm. and so the idea of really calling somebody out doesn't sit well with a lot of therapists well Schnarch swims against the stream in that regard mm-hmm. because he, he thinks of it. And this is what kind of resonated with me the most. Now that I look back on this whole journey is he, one of the times I was listening to him speak and he made a comment about how I think most people have the word intimacy, de- em- empathy defined wrong because most people, th- well, what do you think of when you hear the word? Ent- uh, why can I not say empathy? empathy? Mm-hmm. What, what do you think of when you hear that word? Uh it's taking on their, well, not taking on, but being able to relate to someone's right. pain. Right. It's like the walking in their shoes. Right. That I can have empathy for you by being able to understand your journey and your pain and your struggle. Yeah. He thinks of empathy as it's getting into the trenches with somebody deep enough to do what's necessary because you care for them that much. That's more of a doing mindset, it sounds like. Which was the entirety of his theory, mm-hmm. that it was all about doing. If yeah. Action and impact are what matter. Thoughts and feelings don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's kind of, that's what separated this whole thing. Right. Was being able to recognize that, that difference of, and it's very straightforward and let's move things along. And that's the thing I think that I resonated with the most is it just made sense. Mm-hmm. When I started reading Passionate Marriage, and then you and I started having conversations about it yeah. because it was clicking with me. And then you started asking questions on just, hey, wait, what about this? What about that? So I'm explaining things to you as I was learning them too. And we were off to the races, I think, on both of us starting to see things through a different lens. Yeah. At some point, I felt like I could have gotten. Uh, um, at least a master's, not a doctorate, in some of what you had going on. Because <laughs> right. if going through it, all the questions that were being asked and gone through. Right, because we, we did have lots of conversations and the ability to unpack things after they happened between right. us. Right. Because that's the key when the psychobabble term for his, some of his philosophy is this idea of differentiation. And it's the ability to handle life in a more grown up, straightforward manner. Mm-hmm. Um, he also puts it defined as differentiation is insight put into action Hmm. because a lot of our field in the mental health world really puts a lot of onus on the importance of insight of, you know, it's that aha moment, right? Uh, it's happening because of this, but now what are you going to do about it? Right. And so he comes at it from most of the change doesn't come from that insight moment. Most of the change comes from when it gets to that deeper level and you're like, Oh crap. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to keep doing life that way. And right. it actually becomes a a moving force in your life mm-hmm. that you start doing it different. Yeah. And so it's that insight into action and it's that ability to truly be about my own integrity and my character. 
it, it, what drives me mm-hmm. forward. Mm-hmm. Because he also has the phrase of, if you can't handle your emotions, you can't truly love. Mm. And that's insight into action. Yeah. Right? It totally is. Because how often do we find times in marriage where, you know, you make me mad and I might erupt and blame you for making me mad rather than dealing with the fact that my eruption is causing more problems in the relationship than any other thing could. Yeah. And yet I get so sophisticated with my avoidance of myself that I would blame you for, well, don't make me mad like that then. Well, that's just this. I mean, this whole concept, um, this whole framework that he's built, blame has no place anywhere. Right. Right. There, there is no place for looking for where to put blame. It's what do I do with what's in front of me? Right. And not what does my spouse do with what's in front of them? It's what do I do with what's in front of me? Right. Right. And so we've had, so, you know, on, on a professional level, um, I've had the opportunity to to go to all kinds of these trainings that he does. Mm-hmm. Um, that most of them were all like a two day, three day, surrounding marital infidelity, mm-hmm. uh, just some of the chronic issues. Because he's been very, very good. His work has always been really good at labeling the major things that we face in marriage. Yeah, I'm just kind of naming what they are. Mm-hmm. And then the thing I love the most I think of that is that the fact that it's named and normal, right? Right. (laughs) Right? It's going to happen. Yes. You know, that whole concept of gridlock is a, is a Schnarchian Mm -hmm. concept that what you want is blocked by what your partner wants. And most of the time we think we can outsmart gridlock issues. And in reality, you can't. You can't. They're always there. Because you still are dealing with your spouse, who is a different entity than you. Mm-hmm. And so the importance of recognizing, okay, how is this playing out in me? Because you can't agree to disagree on gridlock issues. Because they're on actions and behaviors. They're not on thoughts and feelings. And there's another distinguishing difference. Hmm. is a lot of the field ends in the whole world of thoughts and feelings. And he comes at it with, you know, you don't agree to disagree to have sex or not. You either have sex or you don't. You either have a child or you, or you don't. don't. You save money or you don't. Right? All right. of those things are quantifiable. Yes. Right? There's and so, an action for all of them. So here I am learning all of these concepts, and it's something he's framed as the crucible, mm-hmm. which marriage is defined as a crucible, which he then in turn made a whole therapeutic approach to deal with intimacy and desire that he calls the crucible. Mm-hmm. And the whole goal of it is, and the technique behind it all is, you, j- you jump in as the therapist and you help increase the pressure of each person's internal crucible to recognize what's going on in their own relationship to make it a drive wheel for them to confront themselves better and their marriage better. Mm-hmm. Which then means this, if you're doing it right, the best in people start to stand up. And that is some of the most profound moments I can think of throughout the course of my professional career. Well, that's is, what you build a, so much of the, these shows off of, so much of your practice off of. Right. Yeah. And that's where you can actually see people stand up yeah. for what's right and good in their life and start to really start to make some change. Mm-hmm. And then they start to get what they were hoping for all along. Right. Right. Because think of the sophistication of all that, Pam. I mean, this stuff you you know... We all want to be wanted and accepted, but yet I go to great lengths to try to manipulate and manufacture that rather than recognize when I'm just upfront and vulnerable, I have a greater likelihood of actually being wanted and accepted Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) rather than the whole perception game. Right. Right. So here it is. I'm going several years of training and then lo and behold, he comes into town with his wife, Ruth, Mm -hmm. and offers a couples therapy weekend. And so I still remember the day I called you. And said, hey, Schnarch is coming and doing a couples workshop. Say three-day couples workshop. Do you want to go? And I'll admit, I was secretly hoping you would say no. Is that right? <laughs> I did not know there that. There was a component Why of me. Why were you wanting that? There was a component of me that was hoping you would say no. Because I know we have gridlock issues, especially at that time. Yeah. You know, because we're still naive in this in some regards of this whole theory and approach and dealing with life and confronting life in better ways but we don't know what we don't know yet right and it yeah and i know the issues we still faced 
And I know the issues we face now, I'm just not as scared. I'm just not as afraid of them. Right. But back then I was afraid of them. I was a scared little boy in some (laughs) regards, right? And so when when you said yes, I actually had to swallow and go, good. (laughs) 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 Because I was like, I don't know what's going to get uncovered at these three days. And I don't know if I want to deal with what's going to get uncovered during these three days. Right. Right? Right. (laughs) So it was truly one of those like, Oh, no, <laughs> I'm not sure about this. And I think you ended up being very glad. Oh, totally. <laughs> and and the thing that I loved about the time with you during those three days was it was just for us. Yeah. Right? Because this wasn't just for professionals. This was for everybody, mm-hmm. you know, just the general population. And yeah. he's working in real time with couples and just kind of watching it unfold. How he That's where I saw the compassion of him really come out. Yeah. Because I think he always took on therapists at the trainings a little differently mm-hmm. because we're required a little bit more. If you're going to get in the trenches, you got to be able to handle some stuff. So I think he was a little more blunt and forceful at times. Uh, well, he's he's trying to, it's a training, right? Totally. It's a training for you as professionals. He doesn't need to sugarcoat things <laughs> for you. Uh, there should be some backbone there to take on what you need to take on. Right. right? So then you, you get to see that softer side when he's dealing with what would generally be a client base for him. Right. And how do you, right. how do you handle that? And so just watching that thing all unfold and then us going through the exercises and having the time together to, to start the conversations. I still remember conversations we had at the little Chinese place right next door oh, yeah. to the hotel oh, yeah. <laughs> that kind of went on into the afternoon and then into the evening mm-hmm. on just some of the patterns that, and the way we avoid things Mm -hmm. or the way I would avoid myself in some things. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, it's so great to look back at the pivotal change. I think that started to create in us Mm -hmm. because I think you even said it was fantastic to actually hear everything you talk about from the person that I talk about. Well, it just all made even more sense, right? Because there's, um, there were so many, things that I'd heard over the years or proofing your papers or whatever and um, getting to hear it in some of the more common everyday right. language from from him and the different examples that he throw out. And you, of course, you get life application. You had other couples in the room tossing out questions about specific things going on. Absolutely. And then you get that life application response and that's how you kind of learn things i think that's kind of the goal you've got here with callers calling in with completely voicemails and emails right completely because that's the way i think of it that's i always remember looking back at that weekend with you and all the other couples that were there that there were two in my mind that stand out that they saw an opportunity to get real-time therapy with him (laughs) right 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 in this big group setting (laughs) right and they weren't they didn't care no uh uh-uh and and he always it, it never turned into a full on therapy session, but he always treated it as a great moment to truly deal with what they're presenting. Yeah, because knowing if someone else is facing it, just like we talk about here on the show, if someone's facing this issue, other people are too. And so I still remember any time there would be a let's process where are we in the room, one of them would start. I got a question, and it would be about what's going on with them. And they would just put it all out there. And, and he they would were, be, used, they okay. were good questions. They were, but he was so compassionate and genuine just on, like it was just them in the room with him. Yeah. And that's the thing I love looking back at now of the people that call in, the people that email, and then at the getaways that we do, the people that take advantage of, you know what, I have at my fingertips some direct help if I'm willing yeah. to confront other people may hear about my stuff and think ill of me. And when in reality, other people will hear about your stuff and go, oh, thank the Lord. Someone's actually asked, talking these questions. And yeah. I want, ah, oh, that stuff's really good. That's really right. helpful. Right. <laughs> exactly. So it's just taking advantage of those things. And then as this whole thing's come along, the last four years particularly, yeah. um, I am so, so grateful for the work he's doing now which has gotten into the world of mind mapping, brain regressions, yeah, flooding. What is that? What's the key that you're so thankful for with that? Well, it's 
he's gotten into this whole neurobiological component of, of how we deal with trauma and how mm-hmm. we deal with life because none of us get through childhood and life unscathed. Mm-hmm. Right. And so he, I think what's always stood out to me, if I love the technique and I love the concept, but I think what I've loved the most about Schnarch is he's always acknowledged the dark side of us as people. Right. That we don't even want to share. Right. And I particularly love it being in the Christian arena mm-hmm. because this is the whole concept to me. I think where Paul's talking about, it's the war of the flesh, mm. that it's the underhanded, manipulative, conniving, deceiving sides of us mm-hmm. that we try to act like don't exist. And we act like when we're saved, they're gone. No, they're not. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. How do I rein that beast in is what matters. Mm-hmm. And the first step to do that is you start recognizing it and acknowledging it Mm -hmm. and then go even deeper because this is where he started really making some headway, I think, in the whole world of trauma. When you start to recognize it's not the actual trauma that creates the most pain and turmoil. It's the mapping of the person who is perpetrating the trauma's mind and seeing that they likely are getting a little pleasure out of it or they know what they're doing and they're still doing it. That's just sick, right? Yes. But, it's, but that's the stuff that sticks real. with you. Yeah. And that's the stuff that is the haunting dark night of the soul stuff. Yeah. Because you can get, I mean, you can put things in context, and I hate the humanistic side of this to recognize, you can understand why some people do what they do. Mm-hmm. But the fact that there's a part of them that takes pleasure in it and there's cruelty, and that's the part that's just like, okay, if we can operate in that work arena, you can really start to deal with people and help them in, a, in tremendously profound ways. Right. And so the last stuff he's been doing um, has just been so spot on on how do I confront what goes on in my own mind based on what's gone on in other people's minds that I do life with or have done life with. Mm -hmm. And I no longer then start to just go after them as a villain. I go after them as a separate entity. And then it becomes, how am I dealing with what I'm responsible for towards them? Not making amends, having the big confrontation closure moment. It's truly just, how am I working towards making better moves if they're still in my life? How am I confronting what needs to be confronted if they're still in my life? Not trying, because think about it. And confronting what needs to be confronted isn't making that big last move or making amends? Well, because most people, I think, think of this idea of the big confrontational moment means if I, if I, let's say, let's say it's a parent-child trauma I'm dealing with Mm -hmm. and I need to confront them and make sure they take ownership of the pain they've caused me. That's what I think is the fairy tale land Disney world version of this work. Gotcha. Rather than, okay, this is not about the fact that this happened and I need you to own it. This is about the fact that I see it and I see it completely clearly now. And so the way you react to this will determine the relationship that we have going forward or not. Gotcha. Right. And I think that's a more powerful from an inner mental world f- outward approach yeah. of I'm taking charge of me in my own world, in my own world and in my own environment. And I start to recognize the moves that I make are better. And I also don't blame other people for their moves because everybody's making moves. Hmm. If I've taught somebody that they can get whatever they want with me and they can call up and I'll drop everything at the drop of a hat and go help them. And that yet I'm grumbling and mad and upset. I, so I've never stood up to them. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the difference of just recognizing, okay, wait, this is empowering to change me in those contexts to teach people better how to treat me. Right. That would be one of his phrases too. I love that phrase. <laughs> right. So it's just seeing it, that it's about being able to stand up and say, I see this, Mm -hmm. I see what's going on and I'm giving you free will to choose what you choose and I will respond based on what you choose. Yeah. I'll respond accordingly. Cause that's marriage, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Cause how often do, you know, if I'm talking about when I'm not at my best, 
one of the best ways people try to calm themselves down when they're in a regressed state is they pound on other people and then expect that other person to apologize. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right? It's like, I can't believe you made me mad like that. (laughs) (laughs) Rather than, hold on. I was regressed there. I was not operating well. Right. I need to deal with me a little better. I need to back up. I shouldn't have gotten so mad. Right. And I think the more we do that, that is all predicated on this whole idea that when the best in us stand up, I actually start to create a relationship that is truly giving and compassionate and caring and loving because it's then choice. Mm-hmm. And it's then impact and it's then the influence I have with people rather than what am I trying to get from people. Yeah. And so there is so much more we could talk about. I mean, I've, I don't know, I don't know how many years I've been to trainings with him. I, yeah. I and I'm idea. sorely disappointed. I missed the last one, which was just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And it was virtual and which is some of the things we've had going on. It just did not fit with the time frame. Yeah. And so I'm disappointed. I missed that one. But uh, I am forever grateful for his work and want to continue it in the manner in which we do here at Sexy Marriage Radio Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because uh, I really do think Schnarch's work has helped impact people to recognize how to live and love deeply Mm -hmm. because I think that's what we all really want. And so rest in peace, Dr. Schnarch. And blessings to your family Mm -hmm. that's being left behind and the work that it continues forward. Mm -hmm. Well, baby, as we wrap up this episode of Sexy Marriage Radio, um, I have to give a heartfelt thanks to you. (laughs) Just because um, nine years is a long time. I mean, we've been together a whole lot longer than that. But nine years on the air doing this every week is a long time. And even though you've only been on the air with me the last couple Mm -hmm. (laughs) of years... uh, You have been a vital part of this whole thing. Thank you. And so thank you very much for your willingness and your strength to let me do this and talk about us and then now join me as we do this and talk about us. Well, I I appreciate it. Um, Thanks for letting me join you. I love being here with you. It's been quite the ride, and I'm looking forward to a whole lot more. Yeah, me too. With you and with the Sexy Marriage Radio Nation. So here's what we need from them. Right. Call us. Email us. <laughs> We're looking at each other. Let us know what's going on. What? 214-702-9565 is our voicemail line. That's where you can ask your questions, pay your respects, your praise, your comments, whatever you want to do, please. Um, we're all in this together, just trying to make the world better in our marriages and in our homes and then in the world beyond. Yeah. So this has been Sexy Marriage Radio. Thanks for taking a part of time easy for you to say this has been sexy marriage radio thanks for taking some time out of your day to spend it with us we'll see you next time